Friends, it's a, a joy to be back with you after some time of rest and rejuvenation. Uh, we got back on Monday from two weeks on vacation, and we had two goals for our vacation. Uh, uh, one was to swim every day, and the second was to eat ice cream every day. And I would like to come back and report to you that we uh, met our goals with flying colors. Yes. There was a day where, where we had ice cream twice, um, and, and uh, the kids were just bonkers, uh, but they swam it off. And there was a day where it was rainy and cold, but we got in the water anyway, um, and so we, we had goals and we met them. I also, uh, as we are away and coming back, want to thank and honor um, our staff, our, our fellow pastors, um, even lay leaders who um, held the space while we were away. We felt very sent uh, to go and rest. And so thank you, um, all of you who hold significant roles and space uh, at this church for this congregation. Uh, and I also appreciate uh, the two preaching pastors that we had, Pastor Scott uh, and Lindsay, who shared God's word with us. I, I love Pastor Scott's very careful attention to the communal nature of Scripture in his sermon on Acts 8. I thought that was masterful. I also appreciated Lindsay's invitation uh, to consider the partnering work uh, of Ananias and, and Saul, Paul, that we're, we're not alone even in our conversions. Uh, her invitation, her word was a gift to me as I, as I heard it last week and, and breathed some life into my own life and my own ministry as we prepared to return. So I want to thank Scott and Lindsay for their careful uh, and attentive work to the text. One of the highlights of vacation for me was uh, on a dark Monday night. We were on a lake in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and we uh, went out onto the dock, and there were no clouds, there were no um, uh, city or town lights. You see, we were very much in a rural setting, and, uh, and, and we looked up into the sky, and there in the sky was stars, not just two like we normally see around here, like, like couldn't count them. We also saw the Milky Way. It stretched across the sky. I don't know if you've ever been able to catch the Milky Way with your own eyes, your human eyes, but it was remarkable. Our sight was, was unhindered in that evening event because there was no light pollution or actual pollution or, or, or clouds. And I really have never seen the stars like I do when I am up on Hagerman Lake uh, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We saw shooting stars. We saw satellites. One of us mistook a lightning bug for a shooting star and followed it all across the sky. Why, why don't you see it? And then my brother's like, uh, that's a firefly. And I was like, darn it. <laughs> I wonder, have you ever experienced the stars like that. Raise your hand if you've seen full magnitude of the stars. There's something. There is something about receiving an unveiled view. There's something about having an experience that stretches your imagination beyond your own immediate vicinity. There's something about an expanding universe. The sheer idea of, of infinity as you look into the darkness that's beyond the stars, wondering, what is it that I'm seeing? There is something 
about the idea that God could, that God would care about the infinite vastness of the universe and also about my hangnails. That God would conceive of a universe as large as infinity and also as small as the oxygen molecules that enter my lungs. Standing on that dock under that dome of stars, there is something that stretches my imagination to its limits, boggles my brain every time. The God of Acts, the spirit that we encounter in the testimony of Luke in Acts, is the God that we encounter in this moment, right here, Sunday, July 31st. This is a vast God meeting you right here, right now. Peter experiences uh, in Acts chapter 10, and as he reflects in Acts chapter 11, uh, he experiences this this imagination-stretching activity of God. And uh, you see, a veil is, is lifted from his vision, and he perceives and then acts on the expansive nature of God's love and desire. That same God that revealed uh, God's self to Peter is right here, right now, and also doing things in the universe. I want to refresh ourselves on the backstory here. You see, way in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, it's recorded that God made a covenant with Israel. And this covenant began with Abraham. When uh, God directed him to look up at the stars. Certainly there was no artificial light blocking Abraham's view. And so with his head tilted upward, God made a promise that his descendants, Abraham's descendants, would outnumber the stars. See, what God is really saying is, this is going to be beyond your imagination, Abraham. And you see, God came through on the promise. Through covenant relationship, Abraham's eyes uh, could only see just a minuscule amount of those who would be a part of the family. Abraham did not see the totality of what this covenant relationship meant. He could only see what his eyes could perceive. What happens here in Acts 10 and 11 is is God taking universe-expanding action. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles and read it with me this morning. Here's why it's helpful to have a Bible or have it in front of you. Um, From now on, we're going to be taking kind of some expansive leaps um, and chunks of scripture uh, and preaching from those chunks. They all go together. They're connected. But of course, I'm not going to read two chapters um, of Acts because that would take a long time. But I want you to be able to see some of the things that we're talking about, see the story as it is unfolding. So if you have your Bible, um, open it. There are Bibles in the chairs of the pew in front of you. You can open those. Uh, And I invite you to bring your Bible every week so that you might Make notes or underline things that, that stick with you in your head, your heart. Um, and so please feel free to do that. Uh, we are starting in Acts chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. 
He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius, stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, that's confusing, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. This is verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The word of God for the people of God, but we're not done with it. So just leave it wide open so you can look at it again. Let's review a little bit. We have uh, two men, Cornelius and Peter. Now, Cornelius is a, a Gentile, meaning he's not a Jew and not yet a part of God's people, though the Bible says he was devout and he honored God. And then we have Peter. We have hung out with Peter a lot while we've been studying Acts. Okay, Peter is a Jew. He was a disciple of Jesus, and he's a Jew in in race, in faith, and in practice. He was faithful to the law, which proved he was faithful to God. And he became faithful to Jesus, who was also a Jew. And here we have these two men, Jew and Gentile. And with these two men, God is revealing not just these two men coming together, but an expanding body, what I would like to call an expanding universe. 
I want you to know with me that, that this expansion comes first in a vision, not to Peter the Jew, but to a Gentile. That was not very common. God sends a non-Jew, an unchosen one, someone deemed unclean, based on what we hear in this story, to a Jew, a person who was a chosen one, someone who was clean. It must have taken guts on Cornelius' part to even obey this vision. Because you see, these things were not allowed. Jews and Gentiles were not allowed to hang out with one another, be in the same house together. Um, their, their interactions must be terse and short. They were not to be friends. So Cornelius receives this vision, this universe-expanding vision, and instead of um, disobeying, he, he obeys. A day later, Scripture says Peter is hungry. I love that scripture includes that. Peter is hungry. And, I, and I'm sure you know what that feels like. Yes? Mm-hmm. Anyone hungry right now? Thank you for your, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. Maybe God's going to give you a vision. <laughs> hunger reminds us of things. And hunger was there for Peter to remind him of something. Hunger reminds us that we are to be sustained by outside forces. It tells us that there's something that we must take action on for the sake of our own life. See, this is now Peter's condition physically. He is hungry and he needs to meet that hunger with food. But it is also the condition of his life as a spiritual leader. You see, what he is experiencing physically is matched by what God is experiencing uh, and calling him to spiritually. God has a holy hunger for people. And this holy hunger for people is being revealed to Peter in his soul, in his ministry, and also in his tummy. So Peter receives this, this vision, and it is a gift, a gift of God that expands Peter's known universe. The heavens open up. A a sheet is being let down containing all the things that Peter's known universe has told him were not okay to eat. Unclean, scripture says. Those were the rules. And Peter, in the dream, confesses that he has never broken the rule. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered his body because those were the rules. And he followed the rules because it showed that he was faithful to God. But the word of God breaks through here. In my Bible, the words of Jesus are in red, and here they are in red. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's Jesus talking. This vision, uh, as most are, is a, is a parable. The goal is not uh, for Jesus to get Peter to eat a lizard, okay? Uh, you can set that aside. The goal was not to expand his palate so that he might try more and more foods. That's not the, the deal here. The goal is to reveal that God is expanding the body of Christ to include those who were previously excluded. God is expanding the body of Christ to include those things that used to be deemed unclean based on the law and the rules before. 
And I'll admit, it gets complicated. And we're going to hang out in this complication. It gets complicated for us, the church, when we read Old Testament and New Testament, when they collide together, it gets complicated to interpret this. What God has said versus what God is saying, it's a very sticky and tricky place to be. But I invite us to stay here uh, and to be patient with it. You see, God has a goal. God is expanding the body of Christ to include those who were previously excluded. And the reason is because God made those people. God made this people, those excluded people, in God's image. God has made these people, made in God's image, worthy and holy and welcomed and a part of the ongoing story of salvation for everyone. For those of us who are, who are not uh, of Jewish by, by race or heritage or practice, what happens in the story affects us. This is, this is us. We are now a part of this expanding welcome. We are a part of what's happening with Cornelius and Peter. This is our, our heritage and our story. The world has been a, a buzzing about the latest images from space that have been captured by NASA's Webb Telescope. Have you seen them? Uh, the field of view for this image, thank you, Daryl. Everyone give Daryl a big thumbs up because I kind of threw this at him at the last minute. And he took it and ran with it. Um, this uh, is the image from the web, um, one image of many from the web telescope, uh, NASA's web telescope. Uh, and this is the, the field of view for this image is if a human, maybe you've read this, held out a grain of sand at arm's length in the universe... And then they took a picture of it, okay? That's not how they would say it, but that's how I say it, okay? This is an infinitely small amount of space. And in that amount of space shows up thousands, not of planets, of galaxies, okay? Like, just let that sink in just, just one moment. What was captured uh, previously with the Hubble telescope many years ago was certainly impressive. Can you bring both of those up? Daryl, look at this. Can you tell the difference? They're divided, okay? On the, on the right is the web. On the left is the Hubble telescope, okay? These, this is like the same place, the same grain of sand held out in the universe. Um, but but this, these are the images they got. And you can tell that these images do not compare it doesn't compare what is captured uh, by the Webb telescope based on the Hubble telescope. There is so much more to be seen in the universe when we have the technology to capture it. I would also say there's so much to be wondered after seeing an image like this. I don't know about you, but when I saw these images, I, I felt like my brain couldn't handle what I was processing. Like, certainly, more shiny objects on black. But, 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 but it was the concept that there is so much more than we have yet to see with human eyes or human eyes that have been helped by telescopes. That there is so much more to see and understand than we could ever process, that we could ever 
imagine. The idea of this ever-expanding universe, that, that it's developing so quickly that we will never be able to catch up to the ends of it. I don't know, that just absolutely makes me crazy. The concept that, that there could be life on other planets, that we have even can't even fathom what's going on in all those blobs in the sky. And when I match that, like, whoa, with the idea that, that God, the God who's doing all this, loves me. And that this God who's, who's literally expanding the universe wants to be in relationship with me. That this God who's authoring galaxies is also interested in this hair in my head. That this God who, who was made real to me before I was born is the same God who is expanding the universe over and over and over again. I feel both very small and extremely large all at the same time. This God who sustains my life and breath and cares about the hairs on my head is making galaxies left, right, up, and down. It's beyond imagination. Here in Acts 10, a new vision is being captured. You see, previously Gentiles were not imagined with God or imagined being involved with God, but God had always imagined them with and involved God has always desired a grander, fuller, brighter picture. The people at that time were not yet given the tools to see it. You see, but the Spirit enabled their seeing. The Spirit enabled this expanding universe to include more and more so that the people of God could actually see it. You see, Abraham could not perceive this with, uh, by his naked eye in his finite humanity. I wonder if God was maybe preserving him. But I wonder if, if also God was, was communicating that day with Abraham under the stars that there would be no way to, to boundary or to border or to section off or to qualify or to quantify the expansive love of God and the expansive inclusion of those in the kingdom of God. I wonder, with Abraham's finite eyes and finite brain and finite humanity, God was actually saying something about how crazy this was going to get. What I love about this story is that God is the one who is pushing uh, Peter now over the line that divides. God is the one that is expanding Peter's vision. And Peter is doing only as God directed. He has not, uh, Peter has not come to this conclusion um, of an expanding kingdom of God. Uh, he hasn't come to this conclusion because of issues of, of justice or righteousness, though justice and righteousness are certainly the result of this encounter. It's not as though Peter is, is rebelling against religious rules and law either. Very simply, Peter is following God's desires, period. 
And then there's Cornelius. Cornelius is not looking to storm his way into a group of people. He's not acting out of spite or or hate for being left out. He's simply doing as God desires. You see, God has made a way for these two to become united. God has expanded the kingdom to include. God has reached beyond what our minds can comprehend to receive us. This is not a challenge for God. This is not exhausting to God. God doesn't need the tools and a telescope and and all of these sorts of things to have this expanding vision. This is God's vision, and it's a joy. It's an absolute joy. I can imagine that there are people here, people online, people all around the world who struggle with the idea of a, of a far-reaching, love-expanding God. Perhaps they've been presented with a, a dim or partial picture of God. Perhaps they've been told that the world of God is only so large, and, and if they don't fit in the picture, then they just don't belong. Perhaps there has been so much up against them that it seems like the universe is is pushing against them, not expanding with them, not expanding with them in it. Maybe even those of us who have have known of God or, or have experienced the love of God at some point along the way in our lives find it very hard to perceive given where we where we are now, given the experiences we've had. There's a sense of cognitive dissonance for those of us who have finite brains and finite bodies to consider a God that is larger and larger and to consider a God whose love and care and desire for us is ever expanding. You see, if it were up up to uh, Peter or Cornelius, we would probably still have a dim picture. We'd probably still have lines in the sand, people left out, people on the in. But it wasn't up to Peter. It wasn't up to Cornelius. It was up to God. It was up to God, and it changed both Peter and Cornelius and then the entire rest of humanity forever. Just as we can't go back to being satisfied with the Hubble's images Once we've seen Webb's images, so we cannot go back to the dim picture of of lines in the sand, of people left out of of God's love and desire for them, or, or withholding the movement of the Spirit on all people. We just can't go back. Peter, uh, he travels to Cornelius' house. Cornelius asked him to, and Peter said yes. Now, now previously, he would not be allowed to do this because of the divisions and the line and the sand and the dim picture and, and, and the uh, smalling of the universe, not the expanding of the universe. But after receiving this, this spirit vision, Peter walks right into Cornelius' house. And there are a bunch of people gathered there. This is all uh, uh, later in, in chapter 10. There are a bunch of people in there. And they're ready to hear what Peter has to say. And he shares the most wonderful news. 
He shares it kind of like this. He says, the truest thing is that God does not have favorites. Actually, we are all God's favorite. You and you and you and you. And Jesus showed us this. And I got to see it, and it blew my mind. And I can't help but tell uh, people about this. And while I used to think that I should tell only my own people about it, I now realize that I get to tell everyone, everyone, not just the sums of everyone. I can imagine as I read this through. And anytime I read uh, Peter's words, I just think there's like a, there's an emphasis of enthusiasm behind what he's trying to say. I think he's super enthused about, about this news uh, and offering it. And I think that the people receiving it might have been kind of blown away by his enthusiasm. Because these were the people that only, only dreamed of being God's favorites. These were Gentiles. Uh, they thought that they were deemed unfavorited by God because there were other favorites. And here they're hearing for the first time, you're a favorite too. And I'm just as enthused just as enthused to tell you that you are one of God's favorites. God delighted in creating you. God delights in creating you right now. God delights in you. And there is nothing that can stand in the way of God being your friend. There's nothing that can blockade you from God's love. There is no person that can take away your belovedness with God. No rule or regulation or law or structure can overwhelm God's overwhelming love for you. God's overwhelming care for you. God's overwhelming desire for you. This may not make sense right now. It's like the expansion of the universe. It, it makes no sense. Our brains sometimes can't fully understand it. But I want you to know it is so, so, so true. You are one of God's favorites. I wonder if there are people that are intersected in your life that may need to hear this good news for the first time, or, or maybe they need a hearty reminder. Certainly the role of, of words is important for communicating God's ever-expanding love for people. But, but there's also a time maybe for some creativity of communication. I wonder if there are people in your life who might get to receive this good news of an expansive love from you. Maybe it's that you are offering your time Maybe it's, it, it's you listening. Maybe it's uh, giving an unseen sacrifice. You know it, they may not. Maybe it's sharing something that's not easy to share. Maybe these people that have intersected in your life need to receive this good news from you, like the people in Cornelius' house needed to receive this good news from only Peter. Or maybe this word is for you. Maybe you might need to receive it for yourself first. Now or, or even for the first time. That you in, in your finite humanity 
are deeply loved by God. You are favorited by God. You are delighted in just as you are. There is nothing that could make God love you more, and there is nothing that could make God love you less. The God who is continuously expanding the universe, like as we are speaking, this is happening. This same God was delighted to include the universe with you in it. You are favorited. You are deeply, dearly loved. God is so glad to have you as a friend. There are a lot of ways that God invites us to respond to this news. Sometimes it is just like breathing it in a second. Sometimes it's tears. Sometimes it's truth. Sometimes it's, it's a whole bunch of things. There are two things that we offer in the church. We call them sacraments. It's a way for us to respond to this news that we're favorited, that we get to be one of God's favorites. And Peter invited the people into a sacrament. He said, let's baptize them. The Spirit came on these people and he said, well, why would we, why would we not baptize them? It's time. This is a, an opportunity to respond to God's favoriting. And so I would invite you, and we have this, this kind of set-aside time um, on, on August 21st to baptize. And if you have yet to be baptized, if you've yet given yourself over to being a favorite, if you've yet to respond to God's call of, of love and care, and you're thinking, Maybe now's the time. Would you, would you find a pastor or someone on staff? We would just, we would be delighted to baptize you, uh, to, to revel in your favoriteness with God. One of the other ways, one of the other sacraments that we participate in in the life of our church is communion, the Lord's Supper, where Jesus sat around with his disciples and said, I love you. You're a favorite, and I'm going to prove it um, in all these ways. Not just uh, death and resurrection, but serving you a meal. And so as we prepare to go to the Lord's table, I'm going to invite us into a, a posture of prayer where we might maybe settle in to our favoriteness for just a moment. Pray with me. God, I pray for those here, those online, those who are listening to this days, weeks, years later. I find it so hard to believe that we could even be a favorite. God, I pray that you would speak to their soul today. God, I thank you that because of your universe-expanding work, we are not left out. We belong with you. We're beloved with you. And God, would, would our decision to, to receive of the gifts that you offer in bread and in cup? Would it be a small way 
of responding in gratitude. And would there be countless other ways that we might offer freely and that you might invite us to offer that spread this news to the world? God, thank you that we get to be a favorite. Amen.